0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Bergen campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Let's bow in prayer. Come and behold him. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we worship you this morning in the beauty of your holiness, the one who is the holy God, the one who is set apart, and yet Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, this morning we think of the scripture that says, Be still and know that I am God. Another version says cease your striving and know that I am God. Lord, may all the strivings of our hearts cease as we meet with you this morning. We pray that we, we have an encounter with you, Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, that you'd be present with us and that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we come to your word. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful time of worship. We thank you for our worship team. We thank you for one another, that as we gather, we gather as we were reminded at the beginning of our service to have fellowship with you, Lord God, but to have fellowship with one another. So, Lord, knit us together as your people, as your family, and speak to us through your word together, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please be seated. Thanks again to our team. That was beautiful this morning. I do feel like I might uh, electrocute myself this morning if I take a wrong step. So um, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? (laughs) Something different, an electrocution. Well, welcome to you all. Welcome to those of us who are online this morning. Great to have you with us as well. And uh, good to be back from Cambodia. We had a week in Cambodia, and it was a very worthwhile trip after a three- or four-year COVID hiatus. Wow, a lot of things have changed over there. Uh, I still look the same, I think, but the kids don't look the same. They've kind of gone from being cute little kids to uh, less cute teenagers. <laughs> uh, but um, an amazing time. Lots, lots of changes over there, and. Uh, just thinking, standing here this morning, just reminded of a, uh, we went to a service last Sunday morning, and uh, the, the message was brought, the preaching was brought by uh, a, a graduate from Centre One. So this 36 or something centres up in Cambodia now, ours is Centre 16. This is a graduate from Centre One, who, if you don't mind, preached in Khmer, and then translated his own message into English as he went along, this kid that probably came from the slums. And I thought, wow, you know what, he's one of about three and a half thousand kids that are coming through this program and all have gone from a place, nearly all, some have dropped out, but nearly all have gone from this place of of hopelessness really to transformed lives. And here's this kid who's uh, now employed full time as a youth pastor in the church. Amazing, well, there'll be more to report about Transform Cambodia in the next few weeks, but um, thank you for your prayers. And please continue to pray for our kids, now 14, 15, 16 years old, our kids in center 16. Uh, pray for them as they continue their journey towards rapidly towards uh, adulthood. Well, we've spent the month of October focusing on this idea of, uh, of going deeper into Jesus, and uh, this is something that God wants for all who follow Him. Uh, Ephesians 4:13 talks about the goal of the Christian faith—that we might become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ah, it's a lofty goal, isn't it? Now, that's what God wants for us. But there are a great many believers who come to faith but then live a good part, if not all of their lives, splashing around in the shallow end of the spiritual swimming pool. And as we've seen over recent weeks, it's things like personal insecurity, and things like failure, things like doubt that the enemy will use to keep us at that shallow end of spiritual maturity. And this was a problem right from the beginning of the church, actually. So in Hebrews 5, the writer says in verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, instead you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. But solid food, he goes on to say, a couple of verses later, is for the mature who by... Constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is a measure of maturity. And how many of you know that growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional? (laughs) Well, that's true in the spiritual life as well. But God would have us progress from the shallow end, the spiritual toddler's pool where we wear floaties and need constant supervision, to a place where we have the spiritual confidence actually to dive into the depths of all that God has for us. A place of spiritual maturity. That's what God wants for us. And that dive, that dive is a, uh, a leap of faith, but it's not blind faith. It's mature faith that develops over time. It doesn't happen automatically requires some intentionality, but this is where the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This is the role of the Spirit, to search all things, even the deep things of God. That's where he wants to take us, from the shallow end into the deep end of the pool, the deep end of spirituality. Spirituality of maturity. And this morning, I want to focus on this topic of drivenness, which is an interesting topic because some of you might be thinking, well, hang on, isn't it it good to be driven? In fact, isn't uh, drivenness necessary for success? You're never going to succeed in business or anything, really, if you're not driven in some sense. Well, There's an old saying that uh, a goldfish doesn't know that it's wet, have you ever heard that? It's a true saying. A goldfish has only ever experienced wetness. What that means is it finds it difficult, even impossible to imagine being dry, it knows nothing other than the experience of being wet because that has always been its environment. Well, we all have our own version of an application of that truth. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, You know, for a great many of us, we don't really understand how blessed and how privileged we are here in Australia because we've, many of us, have always lived in the goldfish bowl, the wetness, if you like, of our prosperous, entitled, wealthy Australian culture. I know many have come from other places as well. Maybe that doesn't apply to you. You've got your own version of this truth. Maybe you've uh, always lived in an environment of some kind of abuse. You might know people who have. That's all they've ever known. They've never known any different. That's just normal for them. Or maybe there are some here who would say, well, I've, you know, I've always lived in an environment of uh, a loving Christian home. I've never known anything different. That's my norm. That's my, my wetness, if you like, my goldfish bowl. Well, I want to suggest that um, drivenness is another common goldfish bowl scenario. So you may not have an appreciation of just how driven you are if you've always lived in a driven household or if you've been brought up in a driven culture. It's a tricky topic because drivenness incorporates some characteristics that are healthy and positive. You know, it's, uh, it's good to work hard. It's good to be motivated. It's good to be disciplined. It's good to strive for excellence. It's good to have a well-organized, well-structured routine in life. It's good to be focused. It's good to be determined to achieve, isn't it? All those things are good. They're all good aspects of drivenness. Let me describe the other side, and this will make some of you shift uneasily in your seats or think with great clarity about the person sitting next to you. A person who is driven in an unhealthy way is a perfectionist. And a perfectionist sets standards that others, even themselves, can actually never really attain to. Their standards are so high. Nothing but perfection will do. Such a person always needs to be in control of their circumstances and of people, actually, around them. A person who's driven in an unhealthy way, doesn't relax easily. In fact, they're always working. They'll be sending emails at midnight, or 2 a.m., or 3 a.m. They have to be achieving, have to be working all the time, have to be improving all the time. Such a person's often emotionally in control on the surface, but easily becomes irritable, and quick to anger when things don't go their way. Does this ring in any bells for any of you? Such a person is often deeply insecure, in spite of perceived success. And so such a person often craves recognition and further opportunity for prominence and will trample over others to get there. Competitive. Such a person often has not too many close or deep friendships. You see, a driven person can achieve great success, often they do. They can accumulate great wealth, accomplish great feats. But hidden away behind it all is a great fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not living up to the expectation even of a parent who has long since deceased, but something still hangs over your head. Yes, your drivenness may well have brought you success, at least a form of success, but too many people have sacrificed their marriage, their children, their family, even their faith, on the altar of that success. And the result of drivenness is often a trail of relational destruction and a shallowness of relationships and of spirituality. But God but God wants to take you deeper and to deliver you from the bondage of your drivenness to a new life of freedom in Christ, deeper into the riches of his love and of his grace, and of his blessing. And let me tell you, pastors are not exempt from this, by the way. For anyone, including pastors, and I've known many over the years, unchecked drivenness will lead to burnout. But God, but God is able to redeem this characteristic of drivenness in a wonderful way and use it for kingdom purposes. And I think we see this redemption of drivenness most clearly in the life of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. So this morning we'll look at uh, his life as something of a case study. So let's take a look at the unredeemed version in Saul's life in Acts. We've got a couple of short passages. The first is Acts chapter 8, 1 to 3, and then we'll read 9, 1 to 5. First of all, Acts 8, 1 to 3... it's an odd place to start. We've just had the stoning of Stephen, if you know the, the progression of the book of Acts. And Saul approved of their killing him, killing Stephen. He stood by, remember, they laid their cloaks at the, the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Saul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Then over to the next chapter. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, in other words, people who were Christians, followers of Jesus, they were known as people of the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Saul was a very driven person. And uh, from these verses, we might quite rightly conclude that he was a nasty piece of work. (laughs) Actually, he really was a nasty piece of work. He was cruel, he was merciless. He was driven, in his case, driven by hatred. Um, last Saturday, I stood in the killing fields of Cambodia and I uh, was reminded again of the, uh, the brutally cruel, ruthless campaign of Pol Pot and uh, his party, the Khmer Rouge in the late 1970s. Many of you old enough to remember, actually, that whole season of life. Horrific. I was a young lad at the time, but I remember it. Uh, some of you have... Uh, stood in this spot in the killing fields. Those of you who've been on a trip to Cambodia, this is a, a glass case of a uh, victim's clothing that has been preserved as a reminder of the atrocities as a whole generation was wiped out. This is clothing that's, uh, that's been recovered from exhumed graves. It's, a, it's just a horrific uh, reminder of what happened. And I show you that because I don't think it's too great a stretch, actually, to suggest that Saul had a similar heart and intent to Pol Pot, albeit on a much smaller scale in Saul's case. But his own testimony in Acts chapter 26 is this. He says, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them, Christians, punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Uh, uh, this is horrific, actually. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So yes, Saul was all those nasty things. But there was another side to Saul's story that sheds further light on his background. And we see it in Philippians 3, 4 to 6, where he says this, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, what Paul's explaining here and in other passages like it is that actually in a worldly sense, he was a man of great success and great power, even a man of religious righteousness, which also drove him, interestingly enough. So he would have been the kind of guy who topped his class at school. He was probably captain of the football team, probably did well with the girls. He probably took the lead role in the school play. You remember kids like that who were just great at everything? I hated those kids. <laughs> he would have been like that. He was just great at everything. He achieved. He succeeded. He won awards. Maybe you were like that. Maybe you knew someone like that. No doubt his parents were very proud. They probably pushed him actually, pushed him towards that success, pushed him towards that achievement, pushed him toward that drivenness. Parents still do that today. Some parents, they push. They just push their kids. It's not going to help them in the long run. We love to hear people's testimonies, don't we? uh, Especially those testimonies of people who say, you know, I was a hopeless case, I was a drug dealer, I was an alcoholic, I was was homeless, I was this, I was that, I went to prison. But then Jesus found me and rescued me and put my feet back on solid ground. And we all say, hallelujah, what a wonderful testimony. That's the kind of testimony we wanna hear. Well, Saul was a man, that, that wasn't his story. Saul was a man who was successful. He was influential. He was feared in a way that probably spurred him on, pushed him on even more. People knew who he was. His reputation went before him. He was driven. Driven by power, driven by hatred, driven by his own success. But then, in Saul's life, there was a day that changed everything, and it was the day That he had an encounter with Jesus. You know the story? We read a bit of it this morning. He was on the road to Damascus, and the presence of Jesus literally knocked him to the ground. There was a bright light from heaven, and a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? And Saul, perhaps for the first time in his life, realises that there is someone who is infinitely greater and more powerful than he, who meets him on the road on this day. The response comes, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. What a terrifying revelation for Saul terrifying that all this time he's been attacking the almighty creator of all things you know that moment changed everything for Saul, turned his life around and in that moment all of his drivenness was driven out of him and he says in Philippians and I paraphrase All that stuff that I used to think was important. All my achievements. All my success. All my wealth. All my fame. All my acclaim. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. It's a transforming moment in Saul's life. And then he uses an even stronger bit of language in Philippians 3.8. He says this. He says, I consider them garbage. Underlined it on the screen there. I consider them garbage. The Greek word is a strong word used only here in the New Testament. Actually... It's a slightly offensive word that means excrement. Having met Jesus, I now look at back look back at those things that I thought were important, those things that gave me worth and recognition, those things in which I found my identity and my value and my purpose, my driven purpose, my motivation those things that drove me to become greater and more influential and richer and more successful, those things are nothing. Yes. In fact, they're worse than nothing. There's something that is now offensive to me. I consider them excrement. Excrement. That I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Nothing else matters. Well, interestingly, soon after that encounter with Jesus, Saul begins to be be called Paul. But you know, it wasn't like Simon's name being changed to Peter. You know, when Jesus said, Oh, Simon, from now on, you're going to be called Peter. On this rock, I build my church. I'm changing your name. No, no, Jesus didn't change Saul's name to Paul. In fact, there's a passing comment in Acts 13.9 that refers simply to Saul who was also called Paul without any further comment or explanation. And so we can surmise, why was that? Well, I suspect it was all part of a change of identity for Paul. Perhaps a a much-needed change of identity for one who had a reputation somewhat like Pol Pot. The name Saul had uh, royal connotations with the famous Old Testament king, who you might remember was literally head and shoulders above the rest, above his peers. The great and powerful King Saul, perhaps uh, he was even named after that great and powerful king. You would think that would be not too much of a stretch. Well, by contrast, Paul means... Small, or humble or even least the great Saul with all his power and influence and drivenness experienced the grace and mercy of God in a powerful encounter with Jesus and as a result he became Paul he became small the least of the apostles is how he describes himself And in his life, he began to walk to a different rhythm with a newfound humility and gentleness. He came in the opposite spirit, saying things like, when I am weak, then I am strong. The great Saul would never have said such things in his rampage towards killing off Christians. But ah, now, something's changed. When I am weak, then I am strong. He says things like, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. So what happened to that drivenness, we might ask? Did it just disappear? Well, I don't think it was removed so much as it was redeemed. And if you're a driven person, many of us are, the key question to ask is what is it that drives you? What are you driven by? You may not immediately know the answer to that question. But it's a vitally important question for all of us to ask. And by the way, drivenness doesn't only relate to success in business. You can be driven in all sorts of things. You can be driven to diet. What is it that drives us? Well, very often the answer is some form of fear or insecurity. When Saul met Jesus and became Paul, the man with the name of the great king became small. But it's important to note that in no sense did Paul become uh, unmotivated or lazy or of weak character. If anything, he was even more determined, more focused, more zealous, but we might say that his drivenness was redeemed and redirected. So now the redeemed, newly created, transformed Paul is driven by something else altogether. Now he's driven by the love of Christ, the opposite of fear, the opposite of insecurity, Paul has a brand new, even more powerful driving force in his life, a force that takes him from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool, where he plunges in to the depths of the love of Christ. He says so in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love now drives us. It drives our lives as followers of Jesus, We are compelled, we are constrained, we are driven by the love of Christ. Because, and this is important, we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. This is the key difference to life. The key difference between Saul and Paul. No longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When you come to Christ and you truly give your life to him, your life has a new driver. The driver of the love of Christ, that's what now drives Paul. And there's the difference. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Thank Thank you, Lord. In Christ, you are free And he wants you to be free indeed. Free to let go. Free to let go of perfectionism. Let go of control. Let go of the need for success, the need for achievement, the need for reputation, the need for recognition. Free from drivenness. And as you let go, which is a frightening thing for many people to do, As you let go, you'll find rest and God will take you deeper. Give your life a new driver and gently bring you from the shallow end of the swimming pool, deeper into himself, the depths of the love of God and deeper into community. All your relationships will deepen as you let go and let God. Let's pray. Lord, for many uh, who are caught up in this whole area of drivenness, and perhaps all of us to uh, some degree, it's a frightening thing to let go, to hand over control to you. But Lord, we do thank you that you want to take us from shallowness of faith and shallowness of spirituality and shallowness of relationships into new depths. And so give us courage this morning to take those steps of faith, to be brave enough, Lord, to ask that question of you. Lord, would you show me? Would you show me where I'm driven, where I'm driven by fear, where I'm driven by rejection, by guilt, by failure, by insecurity. And teach me, Lord, would you teach me what it means to be a person who is driven, compelled, constrained by the love of Christ. Lord, may it be so for all of us as we have an encounter with the risen Christ, not just once, but again and again, would you meet with us? And would you continue, we pray, that transforming work of bringing us from immaturity to maturity, that we might stop drinking spiritual milk and move on, Lord, in maturity to solid food, the solid food of the gospel and the depths of the love of Christ. So take us, Lord, continue that work of transforming us more and more into the fullness of the likeness of Christ, we pray in his wonderful name. Amen. you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.